Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well and welcome back to another one of our Amy Community Series match reviews today, looking at the Hawks and the Bulldogs. If you watched it or you didn't, I got you covered. I'm going to talk you through all the players that, from a super coach and an AFL fantasy perspective, popped that we've got to look at and consider the players that really had a game that we did not expect or anticipate and ultimately wrap it up with the learnings of what it means for us as we head towards round one with opening round pretty much less than a week away now and a full week outside of that the rolling lockout commences and your weeks and months of preparation it's finally going to pay off or bring some pain points for you Uh, let's talk about the western bulldogs they were really impressive in this match and ran a really interesting set of rotations a bunch of guys named in the match didn't even play i'm talking about baker cleary and darcy none of them saw any game time while vandermeer and surprisingly, even a Caleb Daniel had really limited game time. Let's hope for Caleb's perspective and draft. That's purely just managing his workload. I know there were some comments that maybe he's not in the best 22 of the Western Bulldogs. And if that's the case, that just means a lot of their players in the eyes of the coaching and selection staff have really come on in leaps and bounds. Because if Caleb Daniel isn't in your best 22, Boy, oh boy, you've probably got one of the best AFL lists rolling around. So I'd be surprised if that's not the case, but wouldn't be the first or the last time that Bevo's done something to surprise me. Let's go right to the top of the tree. One of the most expensive players, depending on the format you play in that game, Marcus Bontempelli. 32 touches, three marks, eight tackles, a couple of shots on goal, one of them converting for a positive, and a 127 in AFL fantasy and a 135 in Supercoach. Much like Nick Dacos of a few days ago, there have been a lot of people in the community that have gone, oh, he's priced at probably his peak, which I think is fair. Or get him a little bit cheaper. Probably a little bit fair. But if you were interested in Bont before this match, you have not lost that interest. And if you're fading him in the hope of getting him cheaper, he just gave you another great reminder that even though he is priced right at that top of the tree from a premium midfield potential, he scores so well in this midfield role. He is so good. He is so consistent. And I know it's Hawthorne who, again, are going to be at the bottom portion of the ladder and a really inexperienced midfield, politely outside of a giant Newcomb. But the reality is everything you wanted to see from Bont in this matchup, you saw. Smooth moving, contested football, doing the defensive stuff, linking up, getting involved in the scoreboard opportunities and playing as that bulk midfield general that we know he was last year. If you want to spend up big on a premium mid that you go, I don't want any early buys. I don't want any role concerns. And you've got the cash. I I, I genuinely get it. I don't think there's any value or financial upside in it, but that's probably not the motivation you're doing it. Because I think as we've seen through this weekend, you can build some question marks over some of the top end premium mids around role or midfield split of times. And is it going to be as high as others? The other premium mids you really like have got an early buy. Bond's got none of those things. So you want to talk about a safety blanket and a security blanket? Sometimes it's worth paying up for it. I'm not saying you have to do it, far from it, but saying 
I actually get it when people are thinking about that. Tim English did exactly what I expected him to do in this game. Like he only had 26 hitouts, and yet he still, from 85% time on ground, went 111 in AFL Fantasy and 134 in Supercoach. And then just, again, beautifully reminding of us why we owned him for so much and loved owning him so much of 2023 and was regularly a vice-captaincy or a captaincy option for us. He just absolutely cruised through this matchup and, as far as I'm concerned, validated that he is still the number one ruck across the formats. I know there's been some growing love for Gorn and understandable, even for Rowan Marshall, understandable. But to me, Tim English is still top dog in the ruck. And, and I think there might just be an opportunity where we, we see a few points per game added on top of what he did last year. Uh, so I don't think he's returning value, but I also understand it. That if you've seen what Grundy did earlier in the week for, and you're like, I, I don't want any shape of that. Uh, you know what, I don't want to waste trades or use trades is probably a better phrase through my rocks. I, I just want an anchor there. Again, for the second time from the Bulldogs, I get if you're looking for it. There's not much upside, but you want some captaincy safety nets early on in the year. Tim's good. He's really good. Probably the same with Liber and Supercoach, to be honest. 30 possessions, 136 in that format. I, I couldn't advocate for him in Dream Team and Fantasy. There is an injury-impacted game that kind of has brought his price point to a level where you could argue there's a little bit of financial value and upside. He's another one of these premium midfielders that we could say is not going to have any role concerns around him. So look, knock yourself out. If you're big on Liber, you saw what you wanted in this matchup. That's three premiums that we've talked about in the Bulldogs that if you're big and bullish on, you're probably holding on to that. Let's go to the opposite end then. Let's not talk about the premiums. Let's talk about cash cows. 30 possessions. For Riley Sanders, 30, 92 in AFL Fantasy and 86 in Supercoach. And against the midfield, he shouldn't have been one of the best midfielders in this game because you've got other guys on the Hawks side that are at least 12 months ahead in their development. But Riley's probably shown he's already better players than them right now. Um, he was excellent. He is absolutely someone you can put on the field with great confidence. I'd be surprised at least in rounds one and four um, that he gets subbed out of the game. I'd be really, really surprised. And the reason I mentioned those games is players that get vested that are on our field in rounds one and four are going to hurt our overall scoring with all 22 players counting. Whereas rounds two, three, five, and six, where he's still going to play through, if he gets vested in any one of those games, and it'll be a red one, it won't be a green one as far as I'm concerned, um, probably doesn't hurt as much because it's going to fall out of your 22 on-field scorers to not count as one of your best 18. So it won't happen in round one. Round four is the only concern, but everything that I can see as a measurement of success that I would track about a first-year player, he has absolutely delivered right from the onset with pre-season um, time trials right through to what he's doing. He feels like he's going to be a really reliable player for us this year and absolutely someone you could keep on field with confidence, potentially right up to the buy and maybe he'll be the best scoring cash cow we're going to get in 2024. That's no knock on McKercher. It's just, I think that's how good Sanders is going to be for us. Um, and then James Harms is probably worth a bit of discussion. 17 possessions in AFL fantasy. He's priced in a little bit more of an awkward range, but certainly in super coach, I do see the appeal and going at 74 in that format, uh, picked up some opportunities, uh, did impact the scoreboard a little bit. I think he's perfectly fine. Uh, again, 
if you're approaching the forward line with a value mentality, he is someone that you do need to consider. I'm not saying you have to get it, but he's absolutely somebody that if you're looking at, he's at least someone in the mix through there. And then lastly, Nick Caulfield. 14 possessions, six marks, scoring the 50s across the formats. Um, in Dream Team and Supercoach, where he's priced at a cash cow, it's a real different conversation because you're pretty much going to pick him and then if for whatever reason he's not named in round one or he gets dropped or whatever might happen, it, it's not as concerning, whereas you're already paying um, a little bit over that rookie price range, and only a little bit, like 50000 in AFL fantasy. But um, I think a lot of people are, really interested and waiting to see what happens Thursday night. Who do Carlton name? Zach Williams, is he named or is he not? Is he red vested? Is he green vested? How does this game approach? Because that probably makes people's interest in Caulfield fade a little bit or increase. To me, Nick feels like the kind of guy, I wouldn't be surprised if he is named round one for what it's worth. There's no Bailey Dale in this match and really limited game time for Caleb Daniel. I know Caulfield's not the same as those two type players, but we talk about good use of the football coming off half back. Certainly they've historically been that. Caulfield offers a little more height to their defensive line. To me, Nick does feel like the kind of guy that one bad game and he's out of the side, but He's giving himself the opportunity. So to me, I think you can still proceed with some caution around your selection about Nick Caulfield. I'm not bullish and confident. It's not like as a contrasting point at the opposite end of the ground. It's not like an Alex Sexton where I go, I'm good. I'm real happy to have him on field. I think I'm going to get value for money. I'm going to make a lot of money really fast. Caulfield's not like that for me. There's some optimism. I think he's going to be fine but I'm certainly not all chips in that Nick's going to be a great pick for us. Let's talk about the Hawks. There's been a lot of people in the community that are really bullish on a giant newcomer. And I, to a degree, I understand it. And a 37 disposal game, 127 in fantasy and a 125 in super coach probably confirms and holds that confidence. But you look through who's in that midfielder, it is a very underwhelming group. Um, McKenzie's going to be fine, and we'll talk about him in a moment. Husswaite's going to be fine, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But really, without a will day, and Warpool was a little bit underwhelming in this match too, um, they do just lack a little bit of support for Jai. So maybe he will jump out of the gates for us with some really big scores. But um, to me, I, I'd probably think a 105 is probably his ceiling and i'd probably at that price range i just do like a little bit more that are different to him um so probably for me i'll look elsewhere but if you were bullish on him before this matchup i get it i see why you're staying in that lane and absolutely continue on Carl Amon, 28 possessions, plenty of transition points on offer here. They loved getting him involved in the link up, in the transition from wing to wing, and also just link up and pushing the ground forward and trying to make it as condensed as they could. 90s across the formats for him. I think if you were bullish on Carl, you've hold that line. He's going to be a really, really good option for us. The Hawks do look to get the ball into his hands where they can. Takes some opportunities through that rebounding out of defensive 50. I do quite like it, um, but how many of these sort of range guys do you want to get? Do you want Wines? Do you want Holmes? Do you want Crouch? Do you want Martin? And do you want Amon? How many of them do you want to have bites at the cherry at? Uh, I feel like two or three of them is 
probably the maximum you could kind of go. Amon, I think, is going to be right in the mix for one of those strong ones. I'd be shocked now if he's not going to pick up DPP at the conclusion of round six, heading into round seven. So to me, that's something to keep in mind. It might change the tune a little bit. I think 100 average over the first six, seven weeks is certainly within his reach and grasp. Um, I think you can pick him without um, too much concern. He's got that role. He's got that opportunity. And there weren't, you know, outside of a Nukem who took nine marks, wasn't a high mark game. The Bulldogs just owned this matchup from go to woe. And so for me, I, I think if you're bullish on Carl Amon, knock yourself out. Connor McDonald did exactly what I expect Connor McDonald to do, which is get around that 20 possession marks, impact a goal or two a game, and go around that 80 to 90 marker. It's a Connor McDonald game. Um, I know some are fading because they're like, oh, you didn't get any midfield minutes. It's not the point. The point is he's going a baseline 80 in AFL fantasy and 85 in Supercoach, as far as I'm concerned. And it's from a guy that's not getting any inside midfield minutes, which I personally would love to see. But I think we can have some confidence there that if you don't like a Zach Fisher at F1, you don't like a Jack Billings at F1, I've seen it. You don't like a Nat Fife at F1, I've seen it. You don't like any F1 at the top end of Flanders McRae or anyone else you like. Yeah, he didn't play in this game, by the way. So factor that into your Bulldogs, by the way. Um, he's fine because he's non-offensive. He'll hold. Um, at worst, he'll hold his price point. At best, he'll go up 10, 15, 20 points per game of value. And he becomes your pathway to the mid-price guy that is popping. So to me, I, I don't see why people have cooled off on Connor McDonald. The only reason I'd be like, yeah, I get why you're off Connor is because that extra twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 that you might save skimping to go elsewhere, it actually takes your team to the spot you really want it to. It's where you... If you've called on Zach Butters, for example, that extra 30 grand now gives you the money to get up to that premium midfielder that you want to, or it enables you to get your Sheasel or Dacos or whoever it is that you've fallen more in love with over the evidence of these nine matches, that extra 30K gives you the money. Then I'm actually quite okay with that mindset and ideology. But if you're like, you didn't get midfield minutes, I'm out. Mm -mm. That was never the point of Connor McDonald. He doesn't need it to score well, and anything that does come his way was just a bonus. Someone that is getting some midfield minutes, though, and is really lowly owned, and I think that's a mistake, is Cam McKenzie. 19 disposals, five marks, and a 76 in Dream Team and Fantasy, and he went at 80? No, 90 in Supercoach. To me, this feels like one of the easiest picks of the year in the forward line. The absence of Will Day has caused some greater need and opportunity for some midfield minutes to be picked up. He's shown at the VFL level last year, he's a scorer. He's shown in the preseason of 2023, he's a scorer. And then he was really managed in portions, especially through the middle kind of third to late third of 2023. So to me, I don't understand why people have cooled or not even shown interest in Cam McKenzie. He's he's now, to me, one of the absolute non-negotiables in my forward line. Oh, I don't see how you choose to fade against him. That midfield time is not going away. Again, getting a 90 in Supercoach and a high 70s in Dream Team and Fantasy with not even a tackle and not even 20 possessions. Come on now. This, to me, feels like a gift horse. And if his unique ownership continues to hold, this is awesome news. So... We don't often at the coaches panel say like, 
go and pick someone, but go and pick someone. Like Cam McKenzie, to me, looks like an absolute ripper. And he has from the moment he debuted at Hawthorne. I just think it's an easy pick. It's an inoffensive price point, And he's going to make a lot of money for us um, over the, you know, sort of like 150 to $200,000, depending on the format that you play over the first six to eight weeks of the year. So to me, an absolute really, really easy pick and someone I'm pretty happy to select. Mossimo D'Ambrosio was someone I was really interested to watch. Because if Zach Williams doesn't come up for round one, let alone play an opening round, we were going to need some parachute options. And Mossimo for me was someone that I'd identified as, okay, if Zach doesn't come up structurally, what am I doing? Am I going all the way down to a cow? Am I just pivoting sideways? Am I going up a little bit? What am I doing? Mossimo for me was someone that I go, he's someone of interest. He scored well last week and had a really nice halfback and wing roll, but I wanted to see what it looked like with Carl Amon because if Carl's going to get a monopoly of the ball through that rebounding, knowing that Sicily will still get plenty of pill as well, there might not be the opportunity for the volume of scoring for Mossimo. Unfortunately, that's the case. Um, I know he scored okay in this matchup and from 76% time on ground, the scoring was okay and the role was okay, but just seeing how much they looked to get the ball into Amon's hand over him, how much Newcomb had bulk ball and really no other midfielder um, outside of Newcomb had 20 possessions or more, just has me a little concerned now that Mossimo is probably not the parachute that I might choose to put on should Zach Williams not get up for opening round and round one. Doesn't mean Mossimo's out of consideration at all as a trade-in target. All it can take is, is a dynamic change from the coaching staff or an injury, and all of a sudden he really pops. But to me, I think if you were looking at Mossimo as a parachute or on field in general, you're probably not as interested. Draft, it's still fine because you're getting him at such an inoffensive selection that it's not going to do anything against you. But for classic owners, I, I think you're probably fading some interest. Henry Husswaite. Uh, I really, really like this kid. Smooth mover, good decisions. Certainly not the fastest um, mover in AFL football, but does have some glimpse moments. I don't know if he'll have the career of this player, but has some glimpse moments that reminds me of a young Scott Pendlebury, where just feels like he has time when nobody else actually has time and space and makes good decisions more normally than not. And so an 84 in Supercoach and a 68 in Dream Team and Fantasy with Will Day out early, he's probably the one that's been given this additional opportunity. We saw him a few games late 2023. I think in Supercoach and Dream Team at his price point, you can start him. I really think you can. Um, I don't know if you're going to need him on the field, although I am seeing a growing popularity and understanding why of people putting three cash cows on field in the midfield, just to allow them to go a little bit deeper with a premium or a mid pricer in the back line. And I understand that philosophy, by the way, and don't necessarily think that's a wrong philosophy either. But someone like a Husweight just bulks up that bench a little bit more. So you've got Husweight, you've got Roberts, you might have a, a Caleb Windsor rolling through there. Sharp, McKercher and Sanders might just be the three you put on field. But Husweight, I, I think with some confidence, you can select that He's going to make us some money over the first few weeks. We'll wait to see what happens with round one, how far away Will Day is. But to me, I think right now in Dream Team and Supercoach, you can select him with confidence. AFL Fantasy is priced at a spot that you're probably fading interest. Um, but I understand why they've done that. Um, James Sicily, 
had to play a lot of accountable football in this. And uh, I think until they can figure out their defensive structures, because they've lost so much of their options through key position injuries, I just don't think you can start James Sicily. Um, the chances of him dropping a 60 or 70 in the first few weeks because they play some teams that will require him to play accountable just mean to me, I, I just want no part of that risk. I know it's a bit of a roller coaster with Sicily at the best of times, but it feels like the dice is pretty loaded against him. And you're hoping for a, light, a lot of luck to have him fly out of the gate with big, big scores. So to me, I'd probably fade interest in James Sicily. Uh, I think there's better premiums that feel like they've got maybe not the ceiling uh, that James can offer. And he's got a really high ceiling, but that that basement and floor scoring just scares me off Sicily because he has to play accountable football until they can get some cohesion and trust in that back line. So to me, I've really cooled interest in him. Uh, who should we talk about? Phillips. I think he's fine. I think at a basement price and really basement price defender, you can absolutely go there. Key position, probably not quite as pronounced scoring as what Reed or Gibkiss will have for us this year. He's probably a level below them, but I think he's going to be fine for us. So if you do want to structure up with a cash cow on field um, and you're looking at Caulfield outside of AFL Fantasy, where it's not a cash cow, um, Reed, Gibkiss, Phillips, I ain't going to judge that. Um, I, I, I see why you're doing that. And especially if you're thinking you can drop those scores away in rounds two, three, five, and six and kind of protect that a little bit. Yep, I kind of see what you're doing there. Don't think that's a wrong approach, um, especially if you can pop a couple of 60s out of him and some of that extra cash that you save up um, from deepened benches um, and activate that on field of scoring then. Yeah, it's absolutely an option. I think Watson was okay in this game. I don't think you need him. Uh, I think he's going to be a fine young footballer. I think he's a crafty and smart small forward. But I think given the options we've got in our forward line and through our midfield in the cash cows, while he probably does have good job security and DPP positional flexibility, I don't think you have to go all in on Watson. I think especially a, a Windsor popping is probably someone that's there. And, and lastly... Josh Ward, 73% time on ground. Just the 11 possessions, 30s across the format. Um, probably a little underwhelming is a safe statement from what coaches were hoping. A little bit more outside the ball. Again, it's a practice game. They were out of it from halftime onwards as far as I'm concerned. And so there's a lot of experimentation that does happen. But in classic, if you were wanting to start Josh Ward, you needed him to almost bang the door down through the preseason. He's just not done that. So I think you can fade with interest, but on draft day, you might be able to get a little bit of value for him because we know his capacity to score is there. He's done that in his first season and, and at moments in the second. So to me, I, I think Josh Ward still presents some value and upside for us in drafts, but classic, not interested. But do you agree or disagree with my take on the Bulldogs and the Hawks? You can comment below if you're watching this on YouTube with the player that stood out to you the most and the player that's concerned you and you've faded interest in because of this match. I'd love to have your thoughts and get them in below in the comments section. We'll make sure we interact with you and get involved in that conversation. If you're listening to this as an audio podcast and you haven't subscribed, friend, 
We'd love you to take that 10 seconds out of your day to subscribe and give a five-star review. It's a greatly appreciated small act that you can do that makes a significant difference. If you've loved what you've got from us this preseason, whether it be these match reviews, the daily episodes of the 50 most relevant or the strategy content that has been dropping, nobody has put out as much content this preseason as the coaches panel. So if you've enjoyed it and consumed it a lot, take that extra 10 seconds out of your day give some love back to the coaches panel. We greatly appreciate it. If you want to get in touch with us across social media, maybe you've got a question you want to get involved in, or you want to find out about some of the open league challenges that are happening, all the details across our social media and our Patreons have got their draft rankings and are about to get the official rookie guide, a hundred plus page document, as well as a corresponding podcast that helps you dissect every single rookie that we are considering for 2024, right from that breakout tier level up to the premium level. That is just one of the rewards that every single tier gets. There's a tier that is right for you. We'd love you to show your support of the coaches panel this off season by, and preseason, should I say as well, by getting involved in the Patreon. You can sign up and find the details in the description of this episode. One match to go in the preseason and only a handful of days till opening round gets underway. We've learned a lot this week and we'll learn even more in opening round. Yeah,